prescriptions, promises, guarantees today of a cooler, better, happier life. In our text this morning, Jesus has some things to say about that. In our culture, every year it's pushed on us. This new phone will radically change your life. We know last year we said that. We know last year we said this phone's going to revolutionize your life. But this year, our phone is completely different. It weighs one-tenth of an ounce less than last year's model. And we made the screen bigger, and we said that's going to change your life. But now we're making the screen back smaller again, and everybody flocks to it. All these products and descriptions about looking and feeling a certain way. This new car, if you just drive this new car and you're sitting in this new car as you're going down the road, you're just going to feel different. This car is going to make you feel like a million bucks because it cost close to a million bucks. <laughs> we see advertisements that say, this is how you can rekindle the romance in your marriage, boost your self-confidence. Here's how to manage your stress and feel better about your life. We live in America where our declaration declares that we have God-given rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founding fathers knew they could guarantee life and liberty, but they could not guarantee happiness. They could guarantee the pursuit of happiness. That was their intentions, but never promise that you would have it. It didn't have a satisfaction guarantee in those promises. But here in our text in John chapter 13, this morning, we see Jesus say some incredible things. He goes to say how we can have a blessed, full, and happy life. He gives us some hints to that in John chapter 13. Would you pray with me as we begin? God, we come to your word Open it up this morning to hear from you. God, we thank you for what you've done for us, in us, to us, and through us. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. How he went and bore our sin on the cross. The death I deserve to die, Jesus died. The punishment I deserve, Jesus took upon himself. And the Happy life, God, the relationship with you, the holiness that was Jesus, really, he gave to me. He imparted to us. God, what a glorious truth that is, and these truths change our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you may be here and in the works. God, may you get a hold of our hearts, our minds, our hearts. May you stir what needs to be stirred in our life through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 13, we've heard from Pastor Terry in previous weeks about Jesus here with his disciples and his, one of his final acts of service in humility, great humility, coming to his disciples and washing their feet. Then immediately afterwards, after he's washed their feet, he goes on to say this in verse 16 and 17. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
The title of my sermon this morning is, Blessed Are You If. Blessed are you if. Jesus' teaching often in the Bible, and there's very many biblical passages that have this compromise of teaching together, there's a part A and a part B. And it doesn't work if you just have part A, and it doesn't work if you just have part B. You need both. A lot of Jesus' teachings and this teaching here is it's kind of like an epoxy glue. It doesn't work if you only use one side. There's a chemical reaction when you put the two components together, and this is the same with Jesus' teaching. This morning, he says, there's a part A, there's some things we need to know, and part B, there's some things we need to do that we know to be true. Part A consists of knowing, part B consists of doing what we know. Very simple text this morning, only two verses, very simple sermon, but profoundly important in the life of us as believers. If you do these two things, you will be blessed. So Jesus assumes here, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, that there's some things we should know about himself, some things we should know about ourselves, and some things we should know about God himself. So what are these things we should know? Well, we find some of these hints in verse 16. No servant is greater than his master, his Lord, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Point number one, know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Very basic, but it is the starting point. Christianity 101. Our happiness, our joy, our fulfillment begins at the knees of Jesus Christ. What does it mean that such a cliche happiness or fulfillment of life begins at the knees of Jesus or on our knees at Jesus Christ? What does that mean? It actually means giving up our life, understanding what Jesus Christ has done for us. I grew up in church, but I never knew for many years what Jesus actually did for me. Yeah, I knew he died on a cross. I knew he died for my sins, but that's so distant and and out there that I believed in it, but I didn't really understood what it meant in my life because I didn't really think I was a sinner. I really didn't think I was that bad of a guy, and it wasn't really until God got a hold of my heart and I realized I had lied, I had sinned, I had lusted, I had dishonored my parents, I had blasphemed, I had done all the things that I knew were wrong, and I continued to do them. And Scripture says, one day we will all give an account before the Lord for every idle word spoken, every idle thought we've thought. And I realized that day that I knew a lot about God, but I did not know God. And it was that day where I realized I was in judgment, guilty, before God the Father, and I needed a Savior. That's when Jesus Christ came into my life. That is the simple truth of knowing Jesus Christ is Lord. It's not knowing He is a Lord. It's knowing He is the Lord, the Lord of your life. That has to be our starting point. It's that nasty S word that none of us like as Christians called submission. Submission. James Montgomery Boyce says this, The problem that most of us have in finding happiness, joy, and fulfillment begins right here. For if we are honest, even as Christians, we must acknowledge that we frequently have the whole thing inverted. Jesus says that he is Lord and that we are his servants, but in actuality, we act as if we are the Lord and he's our servant. Examine your prayer life sometime and see if the greater part of our prayers do not consist of us telling Jesus what he should do for us, and far lesser asking what we can do for him. 
We say that Jesus is Lord, but in practical terms, we want to make our decisions, choose our way of life, and set our own course of action. So we must know that Jesus Christ is Lord. What else did Jesus teach us? What are some other things we are to know? Well, point number two, know that Jesus came to serve. Jesus came to serve. We see that in these verses. We see what Jesus just did, washing the disciples' feet. He took on a servant role. He washed their feet, but soon after that, he would be having a nail go through his. A nail go through his hands. He served them in small matters, but he also served them in great matters. What a perfect example of placing himself others in front of others. Jesus served us, as I've mentioned, by washing us, by taking God's punishment, God's wrath for our sin. He took upon himself what an act of service. His blood was spilt when your blood deserved to be spilt. Part A consists of knowing. We looked at some truths so far about Jesus Christ. Know that Jesus is Lord. Secondly, know Jesus came to serve. We're going to look at some other truths that pertain to us. What are some truths we need to know about us? Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Point number three, know that Jesus Christ is Lord, not you. Not you. It seems redundant that Jesus would say this because doesn't it make perfect sense that a servant is not greater than his master? I mean, who would think that they're greater than their boss? Who would think they're greater than the, than the person who sent them to deliver a message? Well, I don't know. Why would Jesus tell us that? Why would Jesus tell his disciples, by the way, a servant is not greater than his master? I think we all know the reason why Jesus would have to reiterate this. It's because often I think I'm greater than my master. I think, so, so this is the truth I need to know. I often think I'm greater than Jesus. Otherwise, I would do everything his way. The same is probably true for you. It's something we need to be reminded of. I mean, don't we all have times in our life, and I hope I'm not the only one, where we think, well, I know God says I should do it this way, but I know if I lived a lifestyle doing it this wrong way, it would be a disaster. But just this one time, maybe just these couple of times, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to make this decision and I'm going to go this place, and, and I'm just going to be in the driver's seat just for a little bit and have my fun, and then I'll get back on track after that's over, and, and I won't do too much damage. I won't do too much damage to my life. And, and we pursue that. And we know it's a horrible choice, but we think as long as I don't make a lifestyle of it, it won't be that bad. Church, that's not submission. That's us being in control of our own life, allowing God to lead when it suits us. And whenever it doesn't, we always have the privilege and the opportunity to jump in the driver's seat and do things our way. And then once we've had our fun, we jump back out. That's not what Jesus is calling us. He says, greater. A servant is not greater than his master. He tells us this for a reason. It's because we need to hear it. And we often think we're better, greater than Jesus himself. We'd never claim it, but that's often how we live. I want to have a moment here of confession between you and the Lord. Just between you and the Lord of areas maybe that have been brought to your mind of where this happens in our life, where we think we're greater than God. We allow our mind to wander to places it shouldn't. We do things 
that we know we shouldn't do. We say things we know we shouldn't say, and we think things we know we shouldn't think. Contrary to what God's Word says. So I want to have a moment just of you and the Lord confessing these things, allowing the Holy Spirit to bring these things out of our heart, out of our mind, asking the Lord for grace in these areas that He's provided us, thanking Him for grace. Maybe you're not a believer this morning. Someone's invited you. Spend this next time asking God to continue to show Himself to you. Ask Him to save you. Believe on Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment in that prayer. God, we come to you this morning as a body of believers. So thankful for what you've done, but God, we we confess our sin. God, we thank you that it never depended upon us being perfect. All we can provide is sinfulness to you, and you have done something incredible with it. You've taken it to the cross and nailed it to the cross. God, we thank you for loving us in such a way. We thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that that the moment we became a believer, you forgave us of our past sin, our present sin, and our future sin. But we are called to repent. We have sin in our life that we acknowledge this before you and are broken, have a broken heart over it. And we repent, we turn from these things. God, we ask that you may continue to sanctify us in our thoughts. God, continue to sanctify us in our actions. Help us continually live out a life that shows you are Lord, not ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Part A consists of knowing. Knowing Jesus Christ is Lord. Knowing that Jesus came to serve. Knowing Christ is Lord, not you. But fourthly, Know that Jesus came to serve, thus we are to serve. That's what the scripture teaches. A servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Blessed are you if you go and do these things. What example did Jesus set? Well, he washed his disciples' feet. He served throughout his life. If Jesus is our Lord and he was willing to humble himself to serve others, how much more so should we as Christians be able to serve others as well? How can we think it beneath us to sacrificially serve others when Jesus Christ did not think it beneath him to serve others? Church, to be a Christian and not be serving others is to not be Christ-like. So I want to ask, are you serving others in your life right now? Are you serving others in your life right now. What does that look like? Because to be Christ-like is to be serving. To be a Christian is to be a servant. And many times we have a lot of Christians who are not serving anywhere. So I want to encourage you in some areas where you can serve in your life, in the church, and in your family. An easy place to start is in your family. There's numerous ways to serve. But another place we're called to serve is in the church, 
in the local church. There's numerous ways to serve. One way that's, that's overlooked, it's either overlooked or it's used as an excuse not to serve elsewhere. And that's financial giving. It's either overlooked to where people don't serve in that area, they don't see it as service, but they don't do it, or they say, well, all I can do is give, and so they give. Rarely is that the case, but Scripture says we are all called, whether you have a lot or a little, we're called to serve in the local church. One way to do that is by giving. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Another area we can do this in the local church is by using our giftings and our talents and our time. We're called to do this. So how do we use our talents? How do you use your giftings? Maybe you say, I don't have any giftings. Well, that's not true. If you say we don't have any giftings, that's saying that your creator didn't gift you, and that's really overlooking some things God has done in your life. So don't say that because God has you in a local body for a reason. He puts you there because the local church needs all hands on deck dealing with everything we have to deal with. But for starters, become a member of a church. Maybe you're just here visiting. Are you a member of a church somewhere? Maybe you come here all the time. Are you a member of a church? It's important to be a member, a family member of a church, to have a family you can rely and count on. We need more. How many of you were greeted by somebody this morning? Raise your hand. All of you have now been equipped to be greeters. I mean, if you've been greeted, you know how to greet someone, right? So you've all been equipped. We need more Sunday morning greeters. We know what it looks like to be a good greeter because we know what it feels like to be greeted well. So just be that to others on Sunday morning, but we need more greeters. Children's ministry, children's ministry, student ministry here at the church, leaders, teachers. You know, tonight we have this high school girls Bible study that starts tonight. The rest of the youth group is going to be meeting at my house. We need leaders for these things. Many times we equate children's ministry and youth ministry as second-class ministry. For example, do you consider serving in the children's ministry as important and as exciting as foreign missions, as ministries to adults, or as ministry to those in crisis? Do we realize that we have an opportunity to leave a lasting impact on the future church of Jesus Christ through our children's ministry and youth ministry? These children, these teens are either going to be followers of Jesus Christ, having an impact on the next generation, or they are going to be the next generation we're trying to reach for Jesus Christ. It's one or the other. Either they're following Christ, impacting the next generation, or we're trying to reach them because they were never reached to begin with and they were in the church. But we have them right now. And we need courageous men and women who are willing to work hard because children's ministry, student ministry, any type of ministry where you're really getting into the trenches to do work and proclaim the gospel and help children or teens understand their sin, to persevere with them, be patient with them in their sin as they're learning and understanding their sinners and what that means and how they relate to God and how the scriptures relate to them. I mean, there is a lot. We know. We know how deep theology is. We know how deep our problems are. And children face these things too. Teens face these things as well. We need dedicated people who are willing to do that. Are you willing to help get equipped? Maybe you don't feel equipped to do that. We have people to come alongside of you to help you get equipped and prepared. Maybe you're great at graphic design. We need people who can do graphic design to help 
be an outreach to this island. We want to send good materials and good mailers out. Maybe you're gifted in outreach. Maybe tech, service, sound. Most of our sound and video production happening right now is done by teenagers. Teenagers. And they're volunteering. Their service is going to have a greater impact than they probably know. That videos and audio clips of the preaching of God's word is being sent because they're the ones capturing it by thousands of people, many more than are here this morning. They're going to be able to hear these messages. So thank you teens for serving, but others can serve as well. We have a food pantry and a benevolence every other Saturday that's here. Serve close to 100 people every other Saturday coming into the church. 100 people who we have an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with every other Saturday. Maybe you speak Spanish. I know they often need more people who speak Spanish just to be a translator. Maybe you don't know a lot about God, but you can hook up with someone who does, and you can translate the word of God to those who come. And you could be that spokesperson, allowing somebody to hear some incredible good news of Jesus Christ. Maybe you have a heart for discipleship or biblical counseling here at the church. There's areas to get involved. Jesus said, listen, you're not greater than me, and I'm coming to serve. So there's areas for us to serve in the local church. If you're looking for areas to serve or some of the areas I just mentioned you'd like to serve, write that on your Connect card. Just write it down, put it in the box. We'd love to follow up with you on that. Part A consists of knowing. Know Jesus Christ as Lord. Know that Jesus came to serve. Know that Jesus Christ is Lord, not you. Jesus came to serve this. We are to serve. Therefore, church, we are called to be a servant. John 13, 17, going on to verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's a part A and a part B. If we do what we know to be true according to the word of God, and Jesus' whole teaching here was serving others. He says, if you serve others in ways you know to be true, your life will be what, church? Blessed. You will have a blessed life by God. And how does he say it's accomplished? By putting others first, serving others. Now, husbands, doesn't that just fly directly in the face of what we think is going to bring us happiness in our marriage? I mean, don't we know exactly what we want our wives to do to make us happy? And oftentimes, it's not about us serving them. That's not what, what is in our mind. Or wives, don't you know exactly what's wrong with your husband that if this one thing were changed, it would make life better, easier, simpler? Clothes on the floor. This is my confession. <laughs> Shoes by the front door. Right? I mean, if just some of these things were taken care of, then life, oh my goodness. She doesn't say these things. This is my confession of what I know to be, I need to be doing. Students, don't you know areas with parents where they just need to get in touch with reality? That if they just understood this, then they wouldn't give you such a hard time about it. Maybe we make the center of our life a financial goal, or if I made this many sales consistently, then I would have a fuller life, or then I wouldn't have to worry about that because I had this. Or maybe it's if I had this type of friend, if I had this quality of a friend who cared about me. And all of these things that we 
We find areas to place in the center of our life that if I had this, then my life would be fuller, happier, and more blessed. And any time we place something in the center of our life that is not Jesus Christ, that we're pursuing for happiness and fulfillment, it's going to be counterproductive. Counterproductive. James Montgomery Boyce gives us a great illustration on this about the center of our lives. In the early days of astronomy, before Copernicus, all the work was done on the basis of the Ptolemaic system. The Ptolemaic system was that the sun is not the center, but the earth is the center. Everything revolves around the earth. And as horrible as that system may sound, it actually did a pretty good job of calculating a lot of things. It was better than most people thought. I mean, it could predict the sunrise and the sunset, could predict new moons. It could even predict the course of planets. However, this system did not allow for real scientific progress. New discoveries always went against it. So they come up with this new discovery, and they're like, well, that kind of doesn't fit with what we currently have, so they set it aside. When their calculations were correct all along. It didn't allow progress. They just kept setting these scientific discoveries aside because it didn't fit within their current system. Well, what was wrong? It wasn't their work or their calculations or their conclusions. It was the system that they were in was broken to begin with. This is exactly true of our lives. When we place anything else in the center of our life other than the Son, Jesus Christ, it just doesn't work. Our efforts are in vain because our starting point is in vain. It's very simple. You know truths of God, and blessed are you if you put these truths into practice. I was recently having a a conversation, a couple hour long conversation with an unbeliever who's really having a hard time in their marriage. They're probably about to get a divorce. There's children involved. They're broken about the situation, but they're an unbeliever. And so as they're talking with me about the situation, it's so very clear to me, so very clear, frustratingly clear, that I have to make sure I don't get frustrated at them for how clear the situation is that if they would just stop doing this and and start relying on God, start having God the center of your marriage, this would just take care of itself. I mean, if you would just humble yourself and be broken, then your, your marriage would be radically changed. But they're in a broken system. God is not the center of their marriage. So the problems, they can't even begin to address the problem because they don't see it. Their starting point is wrong. And the same is true in our life. We get our starting points wrong. I want to go through a couple of areas where we get our starting point wrong. The first area is family. Our family with our children, raising our children, even society. I mean, society does this, but we do it as part of society even within the context of the church if someone doesn't pursue if parents don't pursue making jesus christ the center of your family it is no surprise it should be no surprise that your children grow up not following the lord right i mean doesn't that just make sense that if if you don't put god the priority church the priority teaching your children about jesus christ as the priority it should be no surprise That we've outsourced that to the schools, we've outsourced that to the teachers, we've outsourced that to church every now and then throughout the year. Of course, that's not going to be a priority in their life. It's not a priority. So if you're working 60 hours a week, that's what they see. 
I mean, I've been working with students for over 10 years now, and it's never a surprise to me when, when I see teens go off into high school or go off into college, and they just, they just go the way of the world, even though they were at youth group every now and then or at church every now and then. It's because the parents didn't take ownership and say, this is my responsibility to come alongside of my children that God has blessed me with. It's my responsibility to help lead them to the Lord. We typically have a VBS here at the church every year, and this year we're doing something a little differently. Our goal this year is to have parents and children, families together over a couple of days this summer called Family Fun Days, where we're going to have fun, we're going to have games, we'll have barbecue. One day is going to be a a big water park splash pad here at the church. Another day is going to be a family picnic with outdoor games, but everything is built around that our teaching time is going to be with parents and children coming alongside of parents, equipping parents how to lead our families in family devotionals. If we can get parents to begin sitting down a couple of times a week, leading their children, leading their families in family devotional, whether that be prayer, Bible study, reading, worship, as daunting and scary as that may sound, worship in your home just with your family, right? Doesn't that sound terrifying? But God calls us to do these things. That's what this whole, these whole events are going to be doing is how can this be done? What are some resources? Here's some books. Here's some songs that you can be singing with your family. But how we can get our families on track and be focused in on this. Whether you have a newborn or a toddler, a third grader, a middle schooler or a high schooler. That's going to be the focus of our events this year. Whether you're a grandparent Our family is never too young or never too old for family devotional times. That's something that we easily move the center off of. My wife was reading a family devotional book, and she said, you know, if someone looked at your family schedule, what would they say the priority of your family is? I responded, well, we need a better schedule. I mean, I don't even know if we have a schedule, but like that's scheduled out. But thinking through, I mean, what would, they, what would they say, just looking at your schedule, the importance of our, of our time is? I say this to encourage us, but to prod us all on, because this is the importance. We know these things. Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. What, what about work? What's your starting point with work, foundation of your work? What about with giving and receiving advice? I mean, so much advice is given and received within the church. Is it, is it done from God's word? I mean, I hear and see all the time people giving advice, and I see people in dating relationships at all different ages, whether they're young, old, retired, high school. And I see what seems to be a believer, and they're dating someone that doesn't seem that strong. I mean, how many of us see this, right? I mean, we see someone who's dating somebody who's a They're a believer, and they're dating someone who doesn't seem that excited about the Lord. How do we know? How do we know that's going to end up? I mean, right? I mean, don't we all know that that's not really going to work because God's Word says that we should not be unequally yoked? We need to just have the right starting point, put these things into practice. Is our marriage centered on Christ as that foundation? Marriage is not about getting. Jesus teaches it's about serving. I want to end with an illustration here. Recently, we took a short trip with some other couples in the church. 
I went to a family reunion, but on the way home, we kind of did two trips, and we stopped at Blue Springs here in Florida. And maybe you've never been to Blue Springs, but it's 72 degrees year-round, which is freezing, by the way. (laughs) How many of you like cold water? Raise your hand. You're the weird ones, all right? (laughs) My wife is one of those people, she's like, it's so refreshing just to jump in. I'm like, like, I have to like, takes me like an hour to get in, but because everybody's like halfway down the river, I just have to jump in and feel like I'm dying. But anyway, we have our tubes, which turned into life rafts because it's like icy cold water you're trying to cling to. But we got in there all with our children. We probably had 10, 11, 12 children with us, all ranging from, you know, eight months to, to 10 years old. Thank you. I'm glad you're here. So all different ages of, of children, and, and we are getting in the water, and the water's flowing from the right, going down to the left, and it was a very short trip. We didn't know how short of a trip it was. I mean, we got in, floated a hundred, couple hundred yards down, and then it was time to get out. I had never been tubing that way. I mean, where I grew up tubing, we went tubing, we took a watermelon that we put in the water, just floated down the river with us, got to nice, cool 72 degrees. We, it was like a three or four hour I, ordeal. This was like 30 minutes and we were out. And, and we were like, well, maybe it's best because we have a lot of kids and this was their first time going. But we didn't think anything about it. So we got out, we did the trip again, got back in, and we we're just like, this is the weirdest spring. Why would people all come here? They're like flocking to come to this spring that you're in for like 20 minutes and then you're out again. And so, but we had a great time. Well, the second day, it was time to pack up. We were checking out of our little cabins and some of us decided that we were going to go into the spring again. So we got into the freezing cold water again, and it was just John and I's family this time. And uh, we decided we're going to extend our trip a little longer. So we were going to pull all the family upstream against the current to just make the trip a little bit that much longer so we could casually float down. And so there was a slight bend, you know, where you first get in, there's a slight bend goes around a corner. You can't see what happens over there, but we decided to start pulling the families up there, so we tied everybody together, which was about 11 people between the two of our families, which I'm beginning to think was, I got the short end of that stick. My family's only four. But we dragged everybody up the corner, and we got around the bend, and we realized the river, or the the creek just stopped. The spring stopped. I was expecting hundreds of more yards where we can extend our trip, but it just stopped. It it was this round peninsula area, and there was tons of people playing there. And as we got closer, the water became stronger and stronger. And we were right by the springhead the whole time. And you see a picture of the springhead. This is a huge crevice that just emerges out of the ground. And this was the whole selling point of the whole place that we had never even seen the day before. But as we got closer and made it around the bend, we noticed that this huge crevice was in the ground, crystal clear water. And so I didn't know this, but springs are classified by the volume of water they discharge. The largest of springs is called a first magnitude spring. And Blue Springs is a first magnitude spring. It's about 115 feet deep. You can actually dive down that crevice, 115 feet if you have scuba gear. And the spring produces 1,100, almost 1,200 gallons of water per second. That's how much water is flowing out of the earth. 
And so when you get over the top of it, you can feel the water pushing against you, flowing down. And, and we had missed the whole thing. We were, we were fine just kind of going with the flow, but as we got to know really the source of the river, it radically changed a lot of perspectives in my mind. And we stayed there the whole day, around that source the whole day. And this is very similar to how it is with our knowledge of God. Our knowledge of God is like a, a wellspring, a foundation, a, a fountain. And out of that foundation flows forth action. It's direct, directly linked cause and effect. There's a hole in the ground, it produces water. Out of that water flows, just like our life. We have knowledge of God's truth, and out of those knowledge of God's truth flow action. That's the way it should look in our life. Our knowledge of God should produce in us a wellspring of God-glorifying actions, responses, love, mercy, grace in others' life. Here's a few examples, and I'm going to ask you to work along with me on this. I know of God's great mercy in my life, so I extend what to others? Mercy, right? I extend mercy because I know of God's mercy. It's not because I feel like it, but because I understand and I know my great need for mercy. God has given me so much mercy that I'm able to extend mercy to others. It's a knowing. I know of God's mercy in my life. So I can extend mercy. Scripture says we love because God, what? Loves us. He first loved us. I know of God's love, and because I know of God's love, it translates into doing what? God's love. Knowing and doing. I can't really do without knowing, and I can't know without a doing. It's, part, it's two parts. Part A, part B. We serve because what? Come on, church. We serve because we know Jesus has first served us. He set the example. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Cause, effect, knowledge, doing. We give grace because we have been given grace. We're not harsh with others because God is not harsh with us. It's a knowing and a doing. It's a two-part. Just like a spring flows forth water, my knowing of God's truth lead to a flowing of God-honoring actions. Church, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Very simple message. Very simple teaching of Jesus Christ. He's showing us service. He's showing us love. He's showing us a lot of things there. And he says, if you know these things about me, then you should be doing these things. Because a servant, that's us, is not greater than our master. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your simple truths. There are things we can know from Scripture, things you've taught us. God, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for illuminating our hearts and minds to this. God, may you continue to grow us in our marriages, in our families. God, help us to put these into action. I, I pray for all the, the many ministries going on. I pray for the, the meals that happen right after church. I pray for our worship. God, we give you glory for who you are. We thank you for loving us, serving us, giving us mercy. God, we thank you for so many blessings that you've given us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.